you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Welcome, everybody. Uh, it is so good to see all of you here with us. Whether you're here in person, whether you're joining us online, uh, we're so honored and grateful that you're spending your time with us this morning, that we're able to worship God together, to dive into his word together, and to see what he has for us individually and together as a church. And so as we get ready to open up a new series and to start uh, a new sermon, I'm going to ask that you would just join me in a word of prayer, uh, that we would prepare our hearts, that I know there's a lot of things uh, that maybe we have on our minds coming into service today, uh, different to-do list for the last day of the weekend, things coming up uh, Monday that we're dreading or, or worried about or maybe excited about. But let's, let's take a moment to be still. And to ask God to meet us here so that whatever it is that he has for us, that we would have the eyes, the ears, and the heart ready to receive so that we can see where God has, what God has for us and what he might want us to learn. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your love for us, for your faithfulness, for your kindness, your goodness. We thank you that your mercy is anew every morning, including this one. We thank you that this is a day that you've made and we rejoice and are glad in it. We thank you that we could have the opportunity to meet and to gather together as people who know you and love you, or maybe we're on our journey to figure out more about you. And God, we're grateful that we all have the opportunity to hear from your word today. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray that you, um, that again, that we would be able to receive what it is that you have for us. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've noticed recently I've been starting to uh, start the sermons with a lot of different movies, um, and so I'm just going to keep going with that trend because we're in this series called Life on Mission that we're introducing today, and we're going to unpack over the next several weeks looking at the book of Acts, and we're not going to necessarily go verse by verse, but we're going to look at different ways that people were on mission, that lived for God in such a very clear way. Now, one of my, I remember... I have a brother who's 12 years older than me, and so there's a pretty big age gap. And when he was 16, uh, he got a car. He had a sky blue 19, I think 79 Volkswagen Bug with a white convertible top. And he would take me to go see movies. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. I got to go see uh, movies with my older brother. Now, uh, when I was younger, it was like the live action Flintstones, which were, you know, forgettable. And then when I got a little bit older, um, we got to see, uh, I met him up, we went up to San Francisco where he lives. And we ended up to go see uh, Mission Impossible. The first Mission Impossible came out in 1996. I was 12 years old. It was PG-13, but they let me in anyways. And um, I remember just the opening scene, not even this scene, because I love this scene, but just in general, after the first like 15 minutes, I remember just looking at him and being like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. And so uh, just so excited, had no idea what was happening, not, but loved every minute of it. And 
there's scenes like this where it's, it's this, you know, very well-known scene if you've seen Mission Impossible where, you know, the mission is that he has to, you know, do fancy things and steal stuff and take care of the bad guys, but not take care of them like nurture, like take care of them as in, never mind. So uh, he ends up, you know, needing to steal the knock list from this, you know, from Virginia. And so there's this whole scene though where he's like lowering down and it's, it's just, it's, it's fun. Um, I loved this movie, and there's like 17 more of them now, and what I found really interesting, which is not really on topic necessarily, but he um, does so many of his own stunts that in one of the more recent ones, there's a scene of him in the back of a plane, and it's literally a single shot where he's putting on his, you know, everything, making sure it's all good, and he just runs, he walks off, and he jumps off. And that's actually Tom Cruise. Like, Tom Cruise did all those stunts, and he got so used to jumping out of a plane that, you know, he was able to do that. He was certified to do it. And so they had to, I can't imagine, like, you know, being the cameraman and, like, getting, like, you know, your pinky in the shot or something like that. You're like, oh, man, no, that didn't happen. So one of those ideas, though, of him just being so committed and this Mission Impossible, and I just loved, loved, loved these movies. Now, what do we remember if you've seen Mission Impossible? There's an opening phrase that always happens within the first five or so minutes. Um, it's right before you hear the famous thing, like dun, 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 dun. It's before that. And it's the phrase of your mission, should you choose to accept it? Right? And then it starts to unpack what it is. And this is where I really felt dated because, like, in the first movie, it was like a, like a little tape deck, you know, that just kind of explodes. And then by the second movie, it's like glasses that he throws and they disappear. And I'm like, then you start to see, like, how much more high-tech this, this mission gets because it's going to self-destruct in, you know, five seconds. But this idea of, of this mission then we, we were able to highlight some of our missions this morning, North Burma and, and what they're doing in Thailand. And, and I love how Michelle's listing all the things. It's like all these different things, like just to name a few. And it's like, I love hearing what God is doing through our missionary partners. And yet it's really easy for us. It can be really easy for us, I should say, to feel like missions is something that's out there, that those people do, that missionaries do. And so that's, that's not what we're called to do. You know, we, we go about our lives, but we, we may sometimes think that missionaries are for like, or missions is like for professionals. And we're just trying to, you know, get through Sunday and then get through the next week and then come back for Sunday. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about what it means and different, different practices that we see in the book of Acts that will allow us to see what does it mean to have a life that is on mission, a life that if we choose to accept it, it may be harder than we want, but it'll be more amazing than we can imagine. One where it may, there's going to be ups and downs, but no matter what ups and downs we face, we know that God is always with us. We recognize that we have a purpose on this earth. That God has put each and every one of you here in this room, those of you watching online, all of you have a purpose. And we may think the purpose is to get more money or to have more stuff, to be more popular, to have more fame, to move up a corporate ladder, to, to be able to get whatever it is, to be perfect in every way. We may think of different things that is our purpose, but friends, the purpose of our lives is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To know what it means to follow him here and then to enjoy him for eternity. To live a life on mission. 
so that not only do we get to draw closer to God, but in the process, we bring others along with us. And so we're going to be in the book of Acts starting in chapter 1. And so the first section or the first kind of block that we're going to talk about today is if we're living a life on mission, the first thing we need to to do is to see what it means to be receiving the mission. Receiving the mission. And so what I'm going to jump in is this is Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read the first few verses that are not on the screen. The screen, uh, the verses on the screen will jump on starting in verse 6. But I want to give you the context of where we are. The book of Acts is written by Luke. Uh, Luke is, uh, he was a doctor. He's the one who wrote the gospel of Luke as well. So in Acts chapter 1, when it says, to my, in my former book, he's referring to the gospel of Luke. And so you could put Luke and Acts and there would almost be like one volume, or at least it's the same author continuing the story of Jesus and Luke and then the Acts of the Apostles, what it was like for the Apostles to be on mission throughout the book of Acts. So in my former book, Theophilus, verse 1, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convicting proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're catching up that he's setting up what's going to happen here. That they heard, they saw what Jesus did. These are disciples and apostles who followed him. And they're asking, you know, what's, what's coming next? Verse 6. Then they gathered around him and said, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? See, even back then, even right after Jesus came, we always want to know when's, when's the restoration going to happen? When's, when's the end of all things going to happen? That every generation has sought to look and to say, when is the end? And so he's saying, is, is this the time, Lord? Are you coming back? You've, you've, you've resurrected, you came back from the dead. Is now the time that we are going to see the restoration of the kingdom of Israel? Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we're going to stop here because this is the mission that they received from Jesus. It was the idea that, listen, you don't need to worry about the future, about, you know, when's the kingdom of God going to be restored and what do the end times look like? Are they important to listen to the signs? Absolutely. Is it important to have our eyes open to see what God is doing in the world? Absolutely. But if we get so caught up in what is going to happen at some point that we fail to see what God is calling us to do now, then we're missing the point. And so here's what happens is that they say, he's like, you will be my witnesses. And the word for witness, uh, many of us know this, many of us don't yet, but we will now. Is this, it's the same word that we have, martyr. It's this idea that he's looking at these disciples, these apostles, and saying, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in your own city, in Judea, in your region around you, Samaria, a country that's nearby, to the ends of the earth. We're called to be witnesses to who God is and what he's done. All those things in the first several verses that we read about what Jesus had done and how he'd worked and the commands he'd given, all of those things are things that we now 
are called to be witnesses to, to share with those around us. And we, we, we think that maybe, okay, well then that's, that's for missionaries. Like, so we'll take care of Jerusalem. Like we'll take care of our city, but it's other people who need to work on the ends of the earth. But Jesus doesn't make distinction. He says that we are all called to be witnesses wherever he has us. And so they receive this mission right after he, he goes. And then it's the idea of like, will they choose to accept it? Will they say, yes, this is the mission that we're going to call some people? Will they flee once things got hard? Or would their faith in God be so strong that they'd be willing to die and to lay down their lives for the purpose of witnessing to who Jesus is? Most of these apostles ended up dying a martyr's death, a witness's death, a death that happens because they did not want to um, besmirch their testimony. They, they, they were able to clearly say, I will not bow down to another God, or this is the truth of who Jesus is. And we could talk about, C.S. Lewis talks about how there's different, um, people can look at Jesus and they think, oh, he's just a good moral teacher. But the Gospels, according to C.S. Lewis, he talks about how that's not really possible to just say he's a good teacher because he's either a liar if he's not who he says he is, which would not make him a good moral teacher if he lies. He's either a lunatic, he's either crazy to say that he's God, which would not make him a good moral teacher, or if he's not a liar, if he's not a lunatic, then he's Lord. And we take him for what he is and we believe who he is. And so we can't, friends, and we know people, maybe we think that he's just, he's a good teacher. He's a good moral teacher, teaches us how to live. If we take and when we take what he has to say, at what he has to say, that value, he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or I believe and many of us know and we believe that he's Lord. Because he came from the rags or the riches of heaven to rags of a manger he lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, was raised to eternal life, and in so doing invites us to have eternal life with God the Father through him. So that's what we are witnesses to, that he is Lord. And that's the mission that we can choose to accept because people will lay down their lives for a lie if they think it's true, right? But if for the apostles to lay down their lives as martyrs or witnesses, if it wasn't true, if they knew that Jesus was really just hiding out back, or if they knew that someone had just stolen his body and that they would not lay down their lives for something they know is a lie. And so we know that there are proofs that he rose again. There are proofs that witnesses of 500 people that saw that he rose again and they were witnesses to that. And they wanted to communicate that to those around them. So they received the mission. But receiving the mission is not enough. Because many of us, we can hear, you can say, you can sit here and you can leave after today. Like, okay, I receive the idea that we are called to, to be witness to God. But receiving it is not necessarily enough. We need to take the next step, engaging in the mission. What does it look like to engage in this mission? And before I unpack that, you know, when we think about the word engage, it, my first thought comes when it comes to the idea of being engaged to get married and, and the intentionality and the thoughtfulness and the, and the whole process of what it looks like to, to be able to get engaged and wanting to commit to living a life, your life with someone. And outside of following Jesus, the next most important decision any of us will make is who we will marry if God calls us to marry. Recognizing that that can have such an impact on our entire lives. And so outside of salvation, marriage is this vitally important 
And so it's a vitally important decision. And so what does it look like when it comes to being engaging and engaged to someone? So what I thought I'd do is to share with you all uh, what, it, what it, our plan, what my plan was when I got engaged to Steph. So January 29th, just last, uh, last week, um, was the, oh man, I have to do math on stage, um, was the 15th, uh, no, 16th anniversary of when I asked Steph to marry me. So I was able, I had the day off of where it was a Sunday, and I asked the pastor that I was working with if I could have the day off, um, and he said yes. And so we went down to Laguna Beach, and we walked around, um, was able to walk through like art shops. I had no idea what I was looking at, you know, like, but it's just like, that's what refined, you know, 21-year-olds do, apparently. And so uh, we walked around. We had um, BJ's Pizza for, for lunch. We ate it outside. Um, we walked around some more. And then we went to uh, this beautiful restaurant that was outside on the beach. There's a picture of us here um, from when we had dinner out at sunset. And so uh, it was dinner at sunset. And uh, one thing that you'll notice is like, Steph hasn't aged at all. Like, it's amazing. Um, you can tell from the angle I'm at that uh, I, I'm hiding my current gray hairs now. So I have a little bit of gray hairs, not horrible. But um, we're able to enjoy this beautiful meal. Uh, you can tell from the plate uh, that um, fancy restaurants, the more they charge, the less food they give you. And so um, I don't know what that is, but I'm like, I could eat for, you know, anyways. So I was eating that and I was like getting, like, I was getting nervous. And here's why, because I obviously knew this was coming. So I had my best friend um, and his girlfriend and a friend of theirs. They went to a certain location. I had driven down to Laguna Beach. I'd found this little cove on the beach that I wanted to propose in. And so I asked them to come down early and they started to kind of get the preparations ready. And so after eating this, and I didn't, you know, even though it wasn't a ton of steak, I could still feel like my stomach was in knots. And so I go into the restroom and I text my friend, like, is everything ready? You know, are we doing okay? And he's like, yes. And I come out and apparently I was in there a little longer than would have been like socially acceptable because I didn't have to use the restroom. I just needed to make sure the details were figured out. And so Steph goes, are you okay? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm fine. It's embarrassing. And so we get in the car. We get in the car and I'm like, honey, uh, I, I need, for this next part of the night, I need to blindfold you. And she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's just, sorry. And so we, I blindfold her. She's in my, uh, in my car. We're driving, to, uh, we're driving to the location and we're walking down. There's this kind of this uh, street and then you went down this ramp to where the beach was. As we're walking along the sidewalk, I'm walking with her, walking, you know, safely with her in her blindfold. These guys walk up to us and pass by saying, ma'am, if you're being kidnapped, please let us know. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I'm trying to get engaged. And so they leave. I'm like, everything's fine. Uh, which we keep walking down and we get to the bottom and... Um, it's, by this time, it's gotten dark. And so the next picture is my friends. I'd ask them. I went to uh, Illuminations, which used to be uh, a candle store in the mall. And I bought like a hundred of these little votive candles. Like they must have seen me and their eyes were like, 
we've got them. Like, so they just sold me a bunch of candles. Uh, we still have the votives at home. And so we lined it all up. We had rose petals lined up there. And then I had her, um, her seat was facing the, the ocean. I was facing her. And um, I had a whole speech plan. Guys, are you with me? You have a whole speech plan. And in the end, you're like, will you? You know, like, it's just, <laughs> I don't remember all the words I, I wanted to say. But I remember at the end of it, you know, I ended up uh, proposed. She said yes. And um, as she's still blindfolded, my friends and, girl, and his girlfriend, like, they walked up and they went away. Um, and so uh, after she said yes, I ended up um, washing her feet. And that's something that I was like, you know, what I want to do is I want to love and I want to serve you. I got those words out, which was good. And then I immediately thought, I washed her feet and I'm asking her to walk in the sand at the beach. Like, I did not think through all these details very well. And so I'm like... I'll carry you. And so I carried her up, up there. And thankfully, you know, she didn't have her blindfold on so she could walk. We could walk the rest of the way. Um, and so it's just this, the, there's just this idea that in this moment, this, this night is just so, uh, I love it. And it just means a lot. And it's just thinking about, you know, how when it came to being engaged, I had planned ahead of time. I had gone ahead to figure out the exact location. I had bought all the 97 votive candles. I had gone and gotten the flowers figured out. I had had my friends set it up. I went through all the different steps because I was so focused on the mission of saying, I want to make this engagement a memorable occasion for my soon-to-be wife. And I want it to be something that we could look back on and so that on February 6, 2022, I have a great story. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I wanted it to be meaningful, and I wanted to engage in that. Now, when it comes to engaging the mission, we, we know people that have been in relationships, and I'm not, this is not a negative for if anyone here has, has been in this place, but you may be dating someone for a really long time, and then it's like, are you, are you going to get engaged or not? Like, where, where are you at? You need to have that DTR, like, to find the relationship conversation, and you need to communicate it. And so people, we can, people can attend a church service and not be engaged with God. People can attend a small group study and not be engaged with diving deeper in discipleship. Friends, we can attend. Some of you next week will attend a Super Bowl party and will not be engaged in one moment of the game. Attendance does not equal engagement. So, what I want to do is I want to paint this picture. What happens and what did it look like here? Because they just saw Jesus told them, you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And then verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And you're like, I mean, that must have been a really cool moment. Like, wow, that's amazing. But it reminds me a little bit of when, when Shailen was born, and I think I shared this recently, when we were there and we were in the hospital, we had like nurses coming and like changing diapers. I didn't know what I was doing. And then all of a sudden I go home, we go home and it's like, all right, now you get to be parents. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. And it's like, they're like, okay, you will be witnesses. I'm going to go up into the heavens now. He goes and he up into the cloud and Here's what he, they do, verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. It's like they're watching him, and this is this beautiful moment, and it's great. But then suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? 
The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. See, what they're saying is, why are you still looking, at, looking up? It's time for you to go. You need to start being a witness in Jerusalem. That In the next chapter, in the beginning of chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit comes upon them in Pentecost. And then Peter preaches this sermon. And 3,000 people are added to their number in that day. And people are baptized. And, and they want to have a right relationship with God. And it's this idea of, listen, like, it's important for us to come together. But it's important for us to go and be engaged in the mission of God. That coming together and gathering purposefully, which we'll talk about next week, is a huge part of the mission. It's where we get encouragement. It's where we get community. It's where we draw close. It's where we worship God. It's vitally important, but it's part of the importance is that it mobilizes us so that we could go out and be witnesses in our world, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever God has us. In order to be truly engaged in the vision means that we can't just stay in one place and attend a service and then say, all right, I'm good. You can still love Jesus and have a right relationship with him and be saved and know that you're going to heaven. That can happen. And yet we're still can be not engaged in the mission God has called us to do. So how do we transition that? How do we go from the point where we're looking at Jesus and then saying, listen, now go, go and be those witnesses Go and receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Go and share what Jesus has done in your life, wherever you are. So we're going to ask the question over the next few weeks. I'm going to give a, a really quick teaser trailer version of where we're going in the next five weeks together in this Life on Mission series. Because the question we're going to ask is, what does engaging in the mission look like today? What can it look like? This may not be the only way, but what can it look like to engage in the mission of following Jesus, expanding his kingdom, and sharing our faith. So we'll go to the next slide. This, this center idea is engaging people. The center hub is this idea of, okay, what does it look like to engage people? What does it like, look like for us to be engaged? So again, we're not just standing around or we're not just attending, but actually engaging people and coming alongside them in various different ways. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the importance, like I mentioned, of gathering purposefully. Why do we gather? Why are we meeting? What is the role of a communal uh, service, whether it's a small group or a worship service? What's the role in that when it comes to being encouraged and then mobilized to go and serve and to share our faith? What's it look like to connect deeply? To remember that we're here, that we, it is not good for man to be alone, that Walking in faith by ourselves is something that cannot happen if we're meant to follow all of the one another passages in the New Testament. That if in over 50 different times it says, the scripture says to love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, carry one another, help one another, mourn with one another, rejoice with one another. If there are over 50 commands to do something with other people, then can we have a, a personal faith? Of course we need that. But can it be purely private without community? Community, I'd argue that it can't. So connecting deeply, not superficially, but deeply. What does it look like to serve selflessly? To recognize that God has created and shaped each and every one of us with certain um, spiritual gifts and 
and our certain passions and abilities and our personality and our experiences, what has God shaped us to serve and how has he shaped us to serve and to do so selflessly? What does it look like to give generously? Yes, of finances, but also of our time, also of our talents, also of our um, ability just to want to give back to a God who has given so much to us that we cannot outgive God, but he loves it when we try. And then lastly, to influence daily. To recognize that it's not so much this big, okay, we need to have a, a, a huge evangelism event that we bring all of our friends to and we just let the, quote, professional Christians share the gospel. But instead, what does it look like for all of us to engage with and influence people around us all the time? How do we share our faith? How do we act as a witness? How do we intentionally reach out to people? How do we pray for them? How do we influence them, whether it's a face-to-face conversation with them in the midst of a tragedy and they know you're the only one that has a faith that they know, to something as simple as how we engage on social media with people? How do we influence people wherever we are, however we are, in whatever context God has brought us? So we're going to, that'll give us again a, a brief idea of where we're going over the next few weeks. But the idea is that Kerry uh, Newhoff, who's a pastor and um, a blogger and, and uh, just a well-respected leader in the Christian circle, has a line that he's shared many times, especially since the pandemic started, that engagement is the new attendance. And what he means by that is that we always track attendance, like how many people show up, how many people are here in person, which services, how many people are online, which services, downstairs in different ministries. Those are still good things. But if we have people who are attending but not engaging, then we're going to be missing out on the purpose of the church, being able to get people mobilized and focusing on what God has and how we are called to be witnesses wherever we are. So what, how do we get those five different things of engagement? So real briefly as we close in the last few minutes we have together, receiving the mission, you will be witnesses. Engaging in the, in the mission. Don't just stand here, but go and go where God has called you and witness how God has called you to witness and love how God has called us to love and to serve the way that God has called us to serve. But then lastly, living on mission. If this is the title of the series, where are we going with this? And, and why is this something that we want to unpack? Now, this point specifically is going to kind of be sp- Uh, springboard from the Influence Daily that we mentioned briefly at the end there. If you've been with us the past few years, maybe the past, I've been here almost four years now, so uh, the past four years, I've given this little um, explanation of the Great Commission twice already. And I remember sitting in a, uh, sitting in a congregation when I was um, on staff at a church. Now, I'd hear the pastor repeat different things. I'm like, is it because you have nothing else to say? And the answer is, No, Uh, no, it's because there's some messages that are so important that it's, that it's necessary for us to repeat. And I might add that since I checked last time I preached on this was November in 2019 and the whole world has changed since then. And we've had new people come. We've had people that we know and love move and, and change. So our church today is different than it was two years ago. And so if you've heard this before, um, I hope it's an encouragement and a reminder. If you haven't, I hope that this challenges all of us 
to live on mission and what that looks like. So Matthew 28, we see the Great Commission. The Great Commission is, this actually happens, you know, very similar timing to what we read here um, in Luke chapter, excuse me, in Acts chapter 1. It's after the, the resurrection, in the Matthew um, the Matthew example, the Matthew story of this time, Jesus tells the people, uh, his disciples, that he's going to be with them and that he has a mission for them. So here's what he says in verse uh, 19, excuse me, 18, uh, 19 through 20, verse A, excuse me. It's on the screen here. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And when we read that, it's very easy to, to look and says, okay, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And it makes, it can make us think that the only time we make disciples is if we go somewhere else. I've had the honor of being on a missions trip to, uh, to Mexico, to, to India, to Zimbabwe, to, to Haiti. And in those different trips, it's like when you, like I remember in India, it was my first big trip, like across the world trip. And I remember just getting um, out of the airport terminal and walking out and I'm like, oh, this is a whole new world. Like not the Aladdin song version, but like an entirely different culture, an entirely different dynamic. There were horns honking all the time in the city of Calcutta. There were people who were living more on the streets than they were in the buildings. There were people who, they all had like, there were many of the same type of car. There were rickshaws where people would carry you on the rickshaw and walk you around. I mean, this was a totally different experience. And when we have a different experience, it's easy for us to think, okay, when I'm going to go there, I'll be on. I'll be on mission there. I'm going to be looking for people to love. I'm going to be praying for people. I'm going to, I'm going to serve people. I had a, uh, when I, I served in one of the homes and one of the, um, it was a developmentally um, uh, disabled home with, uh, with boys who were kind of that uh, it was like 6 to 15 age range. And I was giving a piggyback to one of them. And he got so excited about it that he just took a whole chunk out of my back. Like he bit my back really hard because he, he just was trying to express his excitement. And then because I was on mission, I said, well, I shall turn the other cheek and let you bite my right cheek. No, it's, it's like, it's just recognition of like, no, like we had this moment. I was still on though. I'm like, oh my gosh, that really hurt. But we feel like we're on. And so we can play the role of being on mission when we feel like we're on. But what do we do when no one else is around, when no one else sees? As John Wooden talks about, this is not the exact quote, but reputation is what other people think of us. Character is who we are when no one else is around. So we can have a good reputation and still have a bad character. So what happens when we're not on? How do we respond? And so if we feel like going and making disciples is a thing out there that missionaries do, that we do every once in a while, then we might wash our hands of the idea that we're called to live on mission everywhere we go. So let's unpack this. And I got this idea from Kenny Burchard as this example. We're going we're gonna to give an example because the, the way that that passage is written in our English language might be a little... Um, little fuzzy for what the meaning is intended to be there based on the verbiage that's used. So I'm going to give an example. And on the screen, if I were to say to you, tune up the car, changing the oil, checking the plugs, replacing the distribution cap. Um, I hope those are real things because I know nothing about automotives, but tune up the car, 
changing the oil, checking the plugs, replacing the distribution cap. If you notice, tune up the car is, is a command. Changing the oil, checking and replacing, those are a different color because that's a way of explaining how to do that. It's a present parsable that's saying, tune up the car and here's how you do it, okay? So let's look at the next, go ahead and go to the next slide here. And as you think about that, Let's reread Matthew 28, 19 through 28, using the same color code system because there's going to be one that's a command and there's going to be three examples that are the participles or the how to do this. So if you look at the screen, it says, therefore, go. That's a participle. That's a how. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Why is this important? Because what it's saying is make disciples. Like that is the command. That's what we're called to do. We are to be witnesses to who God is, what he's done in our lives. We make disciples. How do we do that? Well, as we are going about our day, we share about Jesus. We baptize people. And we, because we've explained and we described the gospel, people want to be baptized. We teach them to obey all the commands that Jesus has taught us. Rick Warren puts it this way in the, in the next slide. Each of these is a part of the command to make disciples. Going, baptizing, and teaching are the essential elements of the disciple-making process. Going, baptizing, teaching. Therefore, what that means is that this idea to go and make disciples is not a one-time you go, be on for a mission trip, come home and be someone completely different. It's not the idea of, hey, go to church on a Sunday morning, but then Monday through Saturday, we are people who are completely different. What it means is that as we are going, our call is to make disciples. Our call is to be disciples who make disciples. Go to the next slide here. This says, this means, this is what Kenny Burchard says. That means that the Great Commission is not about going on trips to evangelize people who speak a different language, even though that is a legitimate thing to do. The going in the Great Commission is best understood as a fact that is taken for granted. The next slide says it this way. It would be more like, hey, while you're going through your daily routine, you, yes, you, you who work there at the prison or in a restaurant, as you are going along doing what you do and doing and going wherever you go, disciple. Amen. Discipling is the mission. We do that by going and baptizing and teaching. But friends, that's a mission that we all have to choose whether we will accept. Because it can be easy for many of us, for, for all of us, it can be easy to show up on a Sunday or tune in on a Sunday or maybe you're listening to the podcast or watching the video at another time. And it's easy to want to just check a box and say, hey, I did that church thing this week. Or I, I heard a pastor sermon this week. Or I listened to a few worship songs this week. Therefore, I'm, I'm good. I was on and now I can go back to real life. Friends, there's no on or off when it comes to being, living for the mission. We must always be on the mission. This past week, uh, when I was staying home and, and quarantined, um, the, the girls wanted me to make, a, uh, to make a scavenger hunt, which 
I love, I love these things. My brother, he would do this one for Christmas party, uh, Christmas gifts when I was really young, and he would write notes and be like, you know, go look where things are. I'm like, oh, I know where things are, and I'd find it. You know, and I find the next note. He, they were more eloquent than that, for the record. But um, and so, what they're like, Dad, we want to go on a hunt. We want to go on this. And I'm like, okay. So um, I wrote down three different, four different clues. I made sure they rhymed. I made sure that they could figure it out. Um, and then I attached the first one on a paper airplane that said like top secret on the side of it. And I had them go in a room and I just like threw the airplane. I'm horrible at throwing airplanes. So just crashed. But anyways, I threw the airplane and like, oh, top secret. And it's like, it's a mission, you know? And so then they go and they're looking at the clue. And um, for whatever reason, Elise was pretending that Shaylin was a dog and walking her. So like Shaylin was like barking that she knew what the clue was. And she would like go, whoa, whoa, and like go to like where the next clue was going to be. And Elise was figuring out, it's hilarity. And so um, they would find it. And they were so excited after each clue. And they would have this moment like, oh, I know where that is. Or whoa, 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 whoa. And like they would go and find it. And for those few minutes, they were on mission. They're like, if... If they were like, hey, we need you to clean your room, like, no. Or, hey, we need you to do your homework, like, uh uh-uh. You know, like, they were so focused on finding this mission, and the end result was, like, some fake gems, right? Like, it wasn't even a real treasure. But, friends, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to be on mission every day of our lives, to make disciples, to be witnesses wherever you are, to recognize it's As you are going, share about Jesus. Live such a life, a good life, that those who don't believe would still see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. Live such a good life that people who, uh, as as 1 Peter 2 talks about, that pagans would, would look, and even though they don't agree with you, they would still recognize something about you. And when they ask questions, be able to teach them. Be able to share what you know. You don't need to know all of the Bible in order to share the gospel. But what you do know, you can share lovingly and boldly. And then you could come and you could see them baptized and entered into a right relationship with God to to the point where they are part of God's family. And your mission, if you should choose to accept it, is to recognize there will be ups and downs, highs and lows, relationships that are built up and some that might fall apart. But at the end of that journey is a treasure that is far greater than a few fake jewels inside of a small box. It's this treasure of the gospel and the jars of clay that we will be able to hear at the end. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been, you've come and enjoy the master's happiness. We'll be able to receive crowns in heaven, but we won't keep them for ourselves. But as Revelation talks about, we cast down our crowns at the feet of the one true king. So friends, as we end our service today, we think about life on mission. Just take a note throughout this week and recognize, do I feel like there are times that I'm on and times that I'm not? And why is there a disconnect? Do I, am am I someone who's attending a relationship with God, but I'm not engaging with him? And am I willing to receive and accept the mission 
That as you go, you, yes, you, whether you work in a school, whether you're attending a school, whether you work as an engineer, whether you work in corporate, whether you work anywhere and everywhere, whether you are staying at home and caring for your kids, whether you are working small side jobs, whether you are still in school and you're taking degrees and trying to do things online, wherever you are, will you accept the mission to be able to live a life as a witness to God? And in so doing, be able to see lives changed for eternity. Because it's worth it for you and for the ones we know and love most so that they too can know and love Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for each person who, again, is with us today. And Lord, I pray that as we enter into this new series, as we take a look through the book of Acts, Lord, that There'll be times when we see ourselves in the apostles' actions and we think, yes, that's what we're doing. We're right on board. We're, we're not waiting around. We're ready to go. And there'll be other times when we say, God, we fall short. But Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you that you don't, uh, you don't call perfect people for your work, but rather the ones that are called, you will work in us and through us. We recognize that, Lord, it's only through your grace that we can have a right relationship with you. And it's with that same grace, may we, with, with grace and truth in a winsome way, share our faith with those around us. May we live such good lives around, among those around us that we would shine like stars in a dark and crooked and depraved generation. That we would be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That people would know Jesus, that you make a difference in our lives because we're engaged, fully engaged, and fully devoted to you. So Lord, we love you. Stir within us now. Challenge us. Encourage us. Do your work in us as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first... If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.